Before we get to this week's episode, let's chat a little bit about ZipRecruiter. These past couple of years have given everyone a lot of time to reflect, especially when it comes to our jobs. And a lot of people reassessed and asked, what do we really want out of our job? Maybe you decided there were things you should walk away from, like careers that don't align with your passions. I remember my passion was was not folding t-shirt stacks for hours or standing in a stock room putting together of packages of these t-shirts only to then take those same shirts out of a box one week later. I knew right then and there that this was not something I was going to do for the rest of my life. But maybe there's a different version of this story where people think that there are things they deserve more of, like higher pay or better benefits. It is 2022, and whether you need a job or just want a better job, this is your year to find that job that you absolutely love, and ZipRecruiter's here to help you. ZipRecruiter pitches your profile to employers for great jobs, and if somebody from that company really likes what they see, they can personally invite you to apply to their job. And ZipRecruiter may even send you an awesome job that you never even knew existed. So there you go. They're thinking for you. They're doing the work for you. So don't wait. Let ZipRecruiter help you find the perfect job today. Sign up for free. There's no reason not to do this. If you're on the fence about what's going on and you're not looking forward to to Monday at your job, you got the Sunday scaries, sign up for free today at ZipRecruiter.com. You never know what can happen. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com. And now let's get to this week's episode of the podcast. All right, what is good, everybody? Welcome back to what I would call a jam-packed pod episode today um, on In the Paint here. Uh, before we get started, um, please like, subscribe, rate, review. You know, download the podcast. You can find us on all platforms, streaming podcasts. Um, follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Tweed 22 for all NBA content, gambling content, all that good stuff. Um, we ride. Let's do it. Let's jump right in. We have, a, like I said, we have a loaded episode. Um, I wanted to, recording this Thursday, July 7th, wanted to do this earlier. Um, I was on vacation, but was still ready to record if need be, if anything went wild. Um, so a couple things did get wild, but essentially what I wanted to do was I wanted to kind of wait as long as I possibly could in terms of like what I felt was maybe a little too late because I wanted to see if the Kyrie or Katie, you know, anything dropped in the, in the few days after July 1st. It did not happen. Then we had the holiday. I thought maybe, well, you know, he's done it on July 4th before. Maybe Katie drops another bomb and finds out something on July 4th. Nothing happened. We are now July 7th. Nothing in the Kyrie and Katie front has happened. So I just figured, well... I'll record this pod, go over all stuff free agency, talk about some of the crazy things that happened. And then if something wild happens while I'm recording or in the days after, we'll just do a bonus one. Um, we'll cover everything. So we're going to dive right in. Like I said, loaded. Let's get to it. Um, we're going to start and I'm basically going to go through all of the free agency deals, who signed where, what happened. And then I'll talk about specific ones, some trade, a massive trade that happened that I think is just bonkers. Um, a couple deals that happen that I think are quite interesting. Um, and then what I think happens um, in the Katie Kyrie saga. And, you know, we'll talk, we'll talk Lakers for a little bit. Um, yeah, but let's dive right in. So we did our pod episode before I left for vacation the night before free agency. And a couple things had already happened. Um, you know, we had, we had like the, the Jalen Brunson news. We had the DeJounte Murray news. 
Um, we knew that some things had already happened, but we and then we predicted a couple things to happen. We obviously thought that Bradley Beal was going to get his big deal. Uh, we thought guys that had big deals were probably just going to re-sign with teams, and most of them did. Um, so I'm just going to roll through all of the free agency deals, and if any of them require more commentary on them, I will do that. But mostly I'm just going to run through most of these deals and just kind of give my you know my thoughts quickly on most of these. So this was um, this was day one. So this was July first, day one signings. Here we go. Jalen Brunson gets the four year, one hundred and ten million dollar deal per per Shams. Here's what we're gonna do with this one. I'm just gonna take a, a couple minutes here. First of all, I think Jalen Brunson is good. I think he might even be even better than good, maybe very good. But the fact that he had they called it a Jalen Brunson sweepstakes. He's the most mid sweepstakes type of guy that should ever be having a sweepstakes. Jalen Brunson is good. He doesn't deserve four years, $110 million deal, but you're going to find out that some of these guys got paid more than they probably did. But we're back to kind of where, instead of the overpays, we're kind of back to where guys are getting paid what I thought they should get paid. However, Brunson for four years, $110 million deal, my first initial thought was, who are you bidding against? Was it Dallas? Dallas wasn't going to pay him that. Nobody else was going to pay him that. You just paid him that because you are the Knicks and you make bad deals because you think that showing people you're going to pay a lot means superstars are going to finally come to you. It's not going to happen. Now, could this work out? Of course. I'm not saying that Jalen Brunson might not be good for them, but paying him four years, $110 million deals is insane. You weren't bidding against anybody. You didn't have to give him four years, 110. That was my first thought. Enough on that. Let's keep it rolling. Malik Monk, two years, $19 million. I think it was a bummer that the Lakers lost him, but shout out the Kings. He can literally just be a gunner off the bench for them. I think it's a great role for him. P.J. Tucker, I think we talked about this on the last pod, but he got a three-year, $33 million deal. Great for him with the 76ers. We talked about this. Oladipo is going back to the Heat for one year, $11 million. Shout out to him for resurrecting at least a one-year deal, getting paid over $10 million. Hartenstein, I like this. Two-year, $16 million deal for the Knicks. I really like Hartenstein. Um, I think that's a, that's a good deal for him, only eight per per year. That's great. Dontre Jordan in the Nuggets, nothing money-wise has come out yet, but he's going to the Nuggets. Beal and the Wizards, we talked about this. We thought this was going to happen. Um, he agreed to the five-year Supermax extension, 251. Here's the scary thing. He's going to request a trade probably in a year or two. He got his money. He's locked in. He's going to request a trade. He's going to be out. But this is what happens now with players, which we're going to get to later on in this episode. Um, Javon Carter and the Bucks, they're bringing him back on a two-year deal. Good for them. I love this for them. Um, Amir Coffey and the Clippers, I thought this was a great deal for them. I thought he showed uh, showed a lot of poise and moxie for them when they had a lot of injury issues last year. Three years, $11 million for him. Basically, you know, almost four per is a steal. Bobby Portis going back on a big extension, four-year, $49 million deal. Love that. Basically, you know... Uh, uh, I would say 13 per, 13.4 per. That's pretty good. Nikola Jokic gets his super max. Five years, 264, staying in Denver. Uh, Daniel House, 76ers get him. I think he's a great two-way guy. I love that he got – the 76ers did some cool stuff, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit and why you know James Harden still hasn't re-signed his ex- extension yet. But we talked about it the last episode. He claimed he was going to take less money so they could do things like this, and we're going to talk about some other things. They did the P.J. Tucker thing, the Daniel House, and then we're going to talk about what they do with James Harden moving forward. 
All right, Devin Booker gets his rookie extension or, or his, his max extension, four-year, $214 million deal. Shout out Devin Booker. Mike Muscala is basically going back to the Thunder on a minute on a vet's minimum. He's going to just be a, a nice little mentor for, for Chet Holmgren. Mo Bamba, two years to the Magic, $21 million deal. I think that's an overpay, but they pretty much had to do it because no one else was going to sign him, and they got to have players. Anthony Simons. Now listen, I love Anthony Simons. I think he's going to be great. Four years, $100 million, 25 per for him is just too much. Who are you bidding against? Were you just trying to keep Dame happy with signing this guy? Because I think you overpaid for a guy that's good, but he's not. Again, it's kind of like the, the Brunson thing. He's good, but he's not four years, $100 million good. I think they just had to sign him to keep Dame there and make him think that they're trying. All right, Wes Matthews, Bucks agree to a deal. Um, haven't seen the particulars yet, but he's, it looks like he's going to be back on either a one- or two-year deal. Shout out the Bucks for for again keeping Wes Matthews, who's a great wing defender. I know he's slower, I know he's older, but he's still physical. He still he still can body people on the wing. Dwayne Dedman going back to the Heat, two year nine million, good for them. Uh, Joe Ingles to the Bucks, love this deal. I think he provides them a secondary scoring option off the bench, shot creation, playmaking. I think that's great for them. Chris Boucher, Raptors, three years, thirty five million dollar deal. He's returning there, love that. Tyus Jones. Probably an overpay here, but two years, $30 million. I thought they were going to lose him. They re-sign. He goes back. Thaddeus Young, two years, $16 million deal with the Raptors. Good for him. Nick Batum, two-year deal back to go to the Clippers. Um, Troy Brown Jr., I like what the Lakers did with this one. We'll talk about their overall signings and stuff and, you know, towards the end. Um, I think they made some good ones and some bad ones, but I think this is a, is a good one. The league is moving towards you have to have athletic, defensive-driven wings who can play both ways. Troy Brown does both that. He's super athletic. He moves laterally, laterally really well. And the Lakers, who were horrible wing defenders last year, you can tell when I go through some of these deals here, they made a complete emphasis to switch around and go young and athletic on the wing. Jay Sean Tate and the Rockets, three years, $22 million deal. Shout out him, man. From Ohio State, Buckeye guy, um, really worked his ass off. He was not a fan of John Wall, and John Wall was not a fan of him. Luckily, that's not the problem anymore, and he was always a worker. You knew he was going to get to where he needed to at some point. Three years, basically... Eh, seven and seven and a quarter per. Good for him. Patty Mills going back to the Nets. Two years, fourteen and a half million. Marvin Bagley, three years, thirty-seven. Not sure if this is what I would have done, but I think he had a nice little resurrection of his career in, uh, towards the end there in the Pistons season, and I like that he gets his money. Javale McGee is going to the Mavericks. Three year, twenty million. Sounds like he's probably going to start. Good for him. Gary Harris staying with the Magic. Two years, twenty-six million. Juan Toscano Anderson going to the Lakers again. Looks like it's probably just a one or two year deal. Um, but good for him. He gets money. He did everything he needed to. He was a consummate professional in Golden State, even when he was a starter at one point, and then gets moved to basically no minutes. Um, but he's going to play a decent amount of time in the Lakers. Again, a, a young athletic wing for them. Lonnie Walker, the fourth. Gets the, the mid-level exception for them. Thought it was a bit much to give him the mid-level exception. Probably could have given him the, the, the minimum. But, um, again... Three, uh, a defensive specialist, young wing, um, smaller, but he's young, he's athletic, he's a wing. Apparently now he says he's about up to 215. He can play a little bit of one through four, guard a little one through four. Let's see if that actually happens. But I like what the Lakers have done so far, going young and athletic. Kevin Knox agreeing to a two-year deal, $6 million with the Pistons. DeLon Wright going to the Wizards, two-year, $60 million deal. Actually, he might have already been there. He might be staying there. Um, Anthony Gill, Wizards, two-year deal. Andre Drummond agrees to a one-year deal with the Bulls. 
Nick Claxton, two years, $20 million to return to the Nets. Kyle Anderson, slow-mo, going to the Timberwolves. He agrees to a two-year, $18 million deal. Lou Dort gets his max extension, five-year, $87.5 million. Shout out the Thunder, what they're doing. I think they're, they're, I think they're attempting to build a contender in a few years, but this was a great deal here. Carl Anthony Towns gets his rookie extension, four-year, $231 million deal. And John Morant gets his extension, five-year, $231 million deal. Day two, July 2nd, Mitchell Robinson and the Knicks, four years, $60 million. Theo Pinson staying with the Mavs. Bull Bull staying with um, the Magic. Bruce Brown now moving from the uh, Nets to the Nuggets, two-year, $13 million deal. Ricky Rubio going back to the Cavs. He tore his ACL, but we knew that there was very good, a very good possibility when he got traded that he was going to be back because he wasn't expiring. He gets a three-year, $18 million deal. He was big for the Cavs last year. Love that. Aaron Holiday, one-year deal with the, with the Hawks. Derek Jones Jr. returning to the Bulls, two-year, 6.2. Otto Porter leaving the Warriors, going to the Raptors on a two-year deal. Yusuf Nurkic gets his extension, four-year, $70 million deal to stay with the Blazers. Robin Lopez goes to the Cavs, one-year deal. John Wall leaves, gets bought out by the, the Rockets, agrees to go to a two-year, $6 million minimum deal with the Clippers. Gary Payton the second leaving the Warriors. Looks like some of those big pieces from the Warriors run are gone now. Trailblazers agreed with three-year, $28 million deal with Gary Payton the second. Love that, but it looks like that probably means something on the Trailblazers means movements are going to be made. It looks like Bledsoe is going to be bought out, so that's one, but there's going to be more moves to make to kind of leave to kind of alleviate that that guard room for Gary Payton the second. Kings getting Kevin Herter for Justin Holiday, Mo Harkless, and a future first round pick from the Hawks. Celtics get Malcolm Brogdon from the Pacers. All they had to give up was a first round pick in Daniel Tice. Neesmith, no, no Grant Williams, no anything else other than just that one first round pick, Daniel Tice and Neesmith. Kevon Looney, Warriors, three year, $25.5 million. Zach Levine gets his extension and a max one with the Bulls. He stays, five year, $250 million deal. Love that. Um, we're going to save this massive trade for the end. Um, it's not, not a whole lot to talk about um, with that one. We know what we're talking about. Uh, the Rudy Gobert trade. We're going to talk about that at the end. Uh, Neto and the Cavs. I think he was with the the Wizards, so he's going to the Cavs on a deal. Don't know the particulars yet. Dante DiVincenzo, though, going to the Warriors for a two-year $9.3 He was supposed to get paid a ton. He had injury problems. Um, he's kind of red flag injury-wise, but let's see if he can resurrect a bit of his career here with the Warriors. Love that signing. Jalen Smith, Pacers, two-year deal. Luke Cornett, Celtics, two-year deal. And then Damian Lee goes from the Warriors again to the Suns, losing um, kind of another piece. Not a big piece, but a piece nonetheless. One of the Suns on a one-year deal. All right, day three, not as much. Um, Zion Williamson gets his max extension, though, with the Pelicans. He has incentives, though, to get up to 231. I assume it's going to be weight incentives and playing games incentives um, and accomplishments. He can get up to 231, that max deal. Garland gets his rookie extension, five-year, 193. Bizback Biombo gets a deal with the Suns, stays there. Cody Martin going back to the Hornets, four years, 32 million. They're going to be bad this year, though. And then Josh Okoge. Um, goes from the, the Timberwolves to the Suns on a one-year deal. All right, and day four, which was July 6th, yesterday, um, the latest ones. Nothing really happened day four, but the latest as of yesterday. Um, Goran Dragic, Bulls, one year, $2.9 million deal. Love that. Serge Ibaka going to the Bucks. Gorgie Jang going to the Spurs. TJ Warren, Nets, agree to a deal, a one-year deal. Thomas Bryant going to the Lakers on a one-year deal. Caleb Martin returns to the Heat, three years, 20-plus million. And then last but not least, Kessler Edwards and the Nets agree to a deal. Okay, 
So that, I ran through everything I possibly could. That is all of the free agency signings as they have happened so far. So let's talk about um, some of the unsigned guys that are still still available here. Obviously, the big one being James Harden. So the it's interesting because there's quite a few guys that are that are unsigned at the moment. James Harden, unsigned. DeAndre Ayton, unsigned. Miles Bridges, we'll talk about him in a second, unsigned. Colin Sexton, unsigned. Um, let's see, anybody else? Montrez Harrell, unsigned. So, as we kind of rolled out, and those were like the top 75 free agents, basically, and, and I just mentioned, you know, five or six, seven maybe of those guys that are unsigned. Those are probably the top seven, if you if you will. One of those is not getting signed. That's Miles Bridges. Miles Bridges is under um, investigation for domestic violence, and it looks really, really bad. I don't think he plays another game in the NBA, um, at least not anytime soon. So he will not be signed. So now we're down to Harden, Ayton, Colin Sexton, Montrez Harrell, and that's probably that's probably about it. So there's probably about four or five guys left that you know, and then um, and I think whoever wherever Montrez Harrell goes, not a big deal. James Harden, though, obviously we knew he took he wasn't going to take a max deal. He was going to take much less, and it sounds like they're probably waiting to sign other guys before they sign him, and just they're just going to give him whatever they can that's left. DeAndre Ayton, listen, the Kevin the Kevin Durant trade request kind of throws a bomb into all of this. Um, I don't know if I mentioned that on the last pod because I don't think it had happened, but right after I'd recorded that request or that that pod. Kevin Durant had just come out and then requested a trade from Brooklyn, which, listen, not shocking based on everything that was going on. I'm not shocked at all that he wants out of there. Um, Kendrick Perkins has said that he thinks it's because he wants to get Kyrie a deal. I don't think that's it. I don't think that that's going to happen anyway. So if Kevin Durant, if that's his plan, that's just a dumb plan. I don't think they're going to give him the give him the max um, or give him any sort of long term deal. So I don't think that matters. Um, I do think he wants out, and I think Kyrie will get out, and I do think that it's going to be Ben Simmons and then whoever else they bring in, um, which whether that's <laughs> whether that's good or bad, that's up to you to decide. Um, so I think they're just waiting on what they want to do with KD. I do think KD ends up in Phoenix. I think it's going to be for probably DeAndre Ayton, Mikel Bridges, maybe a couple picks, maybe a Cam Johnson, something like that. Um, I think that's where he ends up, but we'll talk about a couple other possible trade destinations later on here in the episode. Um, and then, like I said, Montrezl Harrell, n- no idea. Miles Bridges is not going to get signed probably. And then Colin Sexton. I think Sexton's either a sign-and-trade or someone decides to sign him. Um, I know, obviously, the Cavs have his have his rights because of the rookie deal. I don't think they want to sign him. Um, I don't think he's in their long-term plans. So I think that he probably just goes unsigned and someone else picks him up or they sign-and-trade him You know, with, with some other bigger deal um, that they have in mind. Okay, so I told you we were going to talk about a couple things. Um, <laughs> let's let's talk let's talk the Rudy Gobert trade. So, if you haven't heard, <laughs> I'm going to break down everything that happened in the Rudy Gobert trade. So here's what happened: the Wolves are getting Rudy Gobert. Here's what the Jazz are getting. Malik Beasley, 
Patrick Beverly, Walker Kessler, who was just drafted, and Jared Vanderbilt, who I really like, by the way. Jared Vanderbilt, I liked. I thought he was getting better. I thought he was really improving. So I would have liked to have seen them not include him and just do the maybe five first rounds or four first rounds. But so they give four first round picks after that. Unprotected, 23, 25, and 27, and a top tw- and a top five protected 2029 20, pick. I think they had some swaps in there too. So, there's that. Um, Here's my initial thoughts. This is fucking insane. You fucked the market up, Utah, or um, Minnesota. You gave Rudy Gobert four players and four picks and pick swaps? You do know now. That means... That every other superstar, so Kevin Durant, for example, I mean, you fucked the market up for, for everybody else that wanted to get Kevin Durant maybe on 80 cents to the dollar because if Rudy Gobert gets four players and four picks and some pick swaps, what the fuck do you think Kevin Durant's going to get? Six first-round picks and two players? three players and six first-round picks and pick swaps. Like, what you did is you fucked the market up and you overpaid for a guy who is you don't have to guard offensively and has gone down. He's going to be 31 by the time the season starts. And by the end of the, his his max deal, he's going to be 34, making like $60 million. And his defensive efficiency has gone down every year. It goes down from regular season to playoffs. You don't have to guard him offensively. And you just gave up four players and four first-round picks and pick swaps for this guy who's going to be 34 by the time that we think that even Anthony Edwards is going to be good enough to shine in the playoffs. You don't know if it's going to work with Carl Anthony Towns, who did some of the most galaxy brain shit in the last playoff run. Some of the worst playoff decisions I've seen in a long time, and you're going to pair him with now an offensive threat that's nothing? And sure, you can erase a bunch of shots at the rim. We've seen it. The regular season, they may win 50-plus games. They may have the best defensive team in the league. Now they gave away a bunch of wings, so actually now they're getting worse defensively on the wing. But you've got Rudy Gobert, so you're okay with that. But here's the thing. The past three seasons, they have gone worse. They've gotten worse defensively every single year. They've gone from defensive player of the year caliber to now he's still really, really incredibly good defensively. But in the regular season to playoffs, it drops. Defensive rating drops. Defensive efficiency drops. Protection at the rim drops. Because what they're doing is they're bringing him out on the wing. And this is not his fault that he can't guard on the wing because that was never his idea. But the way the league is moving is that you got to be able to have a center who can guard out on the perimeter. And really only guys that can do that that are centers right now, that are true centers, are, um, are, are is Anthony Davis pretty much... Maybe a little bit of Joel Embiid, but mostly just Anthony Davis because of his athleticism. And and Giannis are basically the only guys. But Giannis isn't even a true center. There's not really anybody that can really guard out on the wing that's a center. So it's not his fault. But it's it's a, a lack of awareness by the way the league is moving to sign him to, or to, to trade for this and give up all those wing defenders in hopes that, well, we'll just erase everything at the rim. Yeah, but in the playoffs, you won't. Because in the playoffs, they'll do everything that... that um, that teams did, that the Clippers did to Utah two years ago and completely exposed his limitations on the wing, which is, again, not his fault, but it's the it's the reality. 
So I think they completely fucked up. I think this is an insane trade. But from Utah's side, of course you do this. And it sounds like Utah is pretty much, if I'm Utah, I blow the whole thing up now because you basically have all these assets. You can you can trade Patrick Beverly. If you want to keep Beasley and Vanderbilt, you can because you want to be bad. And then you can trade Donovan Mitchell for, again, a, now a, a ransom. And you'll have basically what, what the Clippers and Thunder, or sorry, what the Th- Clippers did to the Thunder, or gave to the Thunder, sorry, not did, what the Thunder did to the Clippers, and get a bunch of these picks, reset, be in the run for um, Wembem Yama, Next year, the Frenchman, who everybody's going after, you're in the run to tank a Palooza to get um, to for the the French guy. And Utah looks great right now. Not necessarily great in terms of quality, but great in terms of what their plan is. They're executing their plan perfectly with Danny Ainge. Listen, I I think the only time you give up that ransom, listen what the what the Lakers did. You give up the ransom because you know you're getting LeBron, Anthony Davis, and a chance to win a title. I I don't think that the Wolves are going to win a title with this. I don't know how close they even are. Are they, like, second round good right now? Sure, but you gave up everything to get to the second round. Maybe that's what Minnesota needed. I don't know. It just seems like a whole hell of a lot to only get basically second round better. That's just me. All right, let's talk um, Nets stuff. Let's talk Kyrie and KD. Let's first talk Kyrie. So I'm like 90% sure that he ends up on the Lakers. I just don't think there's another place out there that really wants him. I've read everything about that there's no traction, that there's no conversation, that there's really nothing on the table. I think that's bullshit. I think that um, we know that there's something on the table. We just know that the Lakers are doing what their classic Lakers horrible front office moves are. And they're just not including any first-round picks, which is insane. Listen, I know what everybody's saying. You're going to take another person's problem for your problem. Yeah, but I'm taking less of a problem. I'm taking less of a basketball problem. Because let's be honest. What Russell Westbrook was for the Lakers last year was awful on, on the basketball court. So even if you get Kyrie for, let's call it, half a season, 50 games, 40, 40 games, Basically, if he's not there, it's exactly what you have with Russell Westbrook. But when you have Kyrie and he plays, you've got much better basketball than than Russell Westbrook. Sure, he's only a one-way player, but he's an incredible one-way player, whereas Russell was nothing on either end. And even if he takes a 20-game sabbatical, that's still basically what you had with Russell Westbrook for every game, a sabbatical. And you get him for 60 others that are really, really good. I think that you have a a prior relationship that he has with LeBron James. I think that can help. I think Darvin Ham being a young players coach, being a young African-American coach, black coach can help. Um, I think being in L.A. will help for him. It has a lot of the more progressive views that he has. It will be a nice place for him to live. It looks like you already bought a mansion out there. So... I think that's almost a done deal. It just hasn't been done yet. Um, listen, if you're the Nets, you get to bring in Russell Westbrook. You get to have an expiring contract. He's gone. You get to get off of the Joe Harris contract, it sounds like. That would be great. I know there was a report that the Lakers would want Seth Curry. Whatever. I get what they want. I get what they're trying to do, but you need to do the Joe Harris contract because they want to get off of that. So take the Joe Harris contract. That's another shooter for LeBron. That's fine. Not a good defender, but that's fine. He's big enough to be competent. 
if you run a if you run a team out there that's Kyrie, Joe Harris, LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Thomas Bryant, that's a pretty damn good squad. It's a pretty good starting five. So I think that's what's going to end up happening. Um, the whole Kyrie narrative, it, it, you don't want to pay him long-term, but if you're the Lakers, you can sign him long-term and you'll be fine. You know, it, it doesn't have... There's been... It's a, it's almost shifted. Now the pendulum has almost shifted too far on the Kyrie thing. Listen, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of... Of him not playing basketball, I'm not a fan of why he hasn't played basketball. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of his his views on life. But what I can tell you is he is an infinite upgrade from Russell Westbrook. And so if they're not trading a first round pick to get rid of the Russell Westbrook contract for Kyrie, they're crazy. They've got to do it. So I think he ends up being a Laker. It's just a matter of when, not if. And last, we'll talk about Kevin Durant, and then we will get out of here after this. Um, so there's been a couple trade ideas thrown out there about Kevin Durant. So he requested a trade and he initially included Phoenix and Miami on his list. Well, here's the thing. He wants to go to a contender. I get that. That's totally fine. Here would be some ideas I'm going to throw out. Phoenix seems like it's the one that's going to end up happening because they can give him the, the all-star in return. They can do the DeAndre Ayton. They can do the Miles Bridges. Not Miles Bridges, my goodness, sorry. The Mikel Bridges. And then they can do maybe another player, but then a bunch of picks. And they don't have to give up Devin Booker, so he'd be playing with Devin Booker, another all-star. He'd be playing with CP3. He'd you know have he'd have his, his players that he could run with. And there's your top three. That's a pretty good three. There's the the Golden State was thrown out there again. I don't think he returns there. I don't think he wants to deal with that again. Um, Toronto was thrown out. I don't know if he wants to play in Toronto. Side note, the thing about Broussard that he talked about Toronto, listen, I think it was taken out of context. I think what he basically meant was is that there's a difference between black culture in America versus Canada. And I and when everybody when he said it's not America, I think everybody thought that it was like, oh, he's saying that it's worse. I don't think he was saying that. I think he's saying it's just different. Now, he didn't word it correctly. He didn't do a good job explaining himself and giving context, and that's on Broussard. But, like, in terms of where people took it, I think it was a bit much. I think KD, if you give him the right pieces and you give him the sell him the right way, Toronto's dope as shit. I've heard nothing but amazing things about Toronto, and the diversity there is insane. So the amount of people that you can – the groups of people and the diversity, I think he would love that. So I don't think that's what's keeping it away. I think it may be more of the basketball thing. And, and Toronto, maybe people just don't want to live in Toronto, but I don't think it's a racial thing. Um, and I don't think I don't think Broussard was necessarily saying that, but it got taken that way. Um, there was Toronto. There's been Golden State. There's been Phoenix. Here's one. Heard this from Nick Wright. Think it's a great one. What about New Orleans? They just signed Zion. You could get the you have your you have your all star there in Zion, you have C J McCollum who's an all star caliber. They get they could trade Brandon Ingram, they could trade whomever else they wanted in some picks and get Kevin Durant back in return. You'd have Zion, Durant, McCollum, pieces around him, and in return you get Brandon Ingram who's a young all star going to to Brooklyn to play with Simmons and to play with. Um, whomever else would be in that deal. TJ Warren would be on that team, obviously. 
I think it's I think it's worth a look. I don't think he would I don't think they would do it. I don't think that's on his list and where he would want to play, but I think it's worth a look. Ultimately, I think he ends up in Phoenix. I think that makes the most sense and I I wouldn't like that, but it would be it'd be fun to watch. Other than that though, there's really not a whole lot you're looking out for. Obviously, you're looking to see what James Harden gets, you're looking to see where Colin Sexton goes. DeAndre Ayton probably going to be in a sign and trade if it goes to to Brooklyn and, and they get KD. But then you're kind of if it's not that, then you're looking to see where uh looking to see where he ends up. But the the craziest of them all was the Gobert trade. Just absolutely insane. I just can't believe that's that's where we are. They're going to regret that for sure. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll get to part two, which we're going to talk um, a more in-depth look at like KD, Kyrie, the Wolves, and Utah Jazz trade. We'll talk more in-depth about the Hawks and um, Spurs trade, and then we'll talk all things Summer League. I want to kind of talk about my thoughts on what I've seen in the Summer League so far. Um, part two will will probably be more, more in-depth with that stuff. A little later, this is recording obviously on a Thursday, probably will record that tomorrow on Friday, and then this will drop Friday evening. Um, so if anything happens between Thursday and Friday in terms of free agency stuff or whatever, if anything happens, that'll be covered on part two. We're going to take a deeper dive into some of the things we talked about today on part two and talk all things Summer League. So uh, we'll take a quick break and uh, catch us back here for part two. What's good, everybody? Welcome back. Part two of this two-part NBA, let's call it free agency slash summer league podcast. Um, so part one, if you haven't listened, go back and check it out um, or, you know, back up in the episode and check it out. If you're just, I don't know why you would just be listening to part two because you would probably have seen, you know, part one. But if for some reason you didn't hear part one, um, go back and listen to that. But this is part two. We're going to talk more in depth about some of the deals that have happened recently. So we're going to talk more about the KD and Kyrie situation. I'm going to basically break down each like theory or I've, I've been listening to a lot of different people, whether podcasts or on radio or on YouTube and different theories as to what's going to happen and why stuff is happening, which is essentially leading to the Brooklyn Nets turmoil, right? Um, so I'm going to basically break down everything I've heard and either why I believe that's something, a theory that you can subscribe to or why I think it's just complete lunacy and what I think is ultimately going to happen between the KD part and the Kyrie part. We'll talk about that that specific stuff. We'll talk about more in depth of what it looks like between Utah and Minnesota going forward for their deals. We'll talk about the Hawks and the Spurs and basically more Hawks than anything, what we think the fit is between DeJounte Murray and Trey Young and others, what it means for John Collins, what it means for obviously Kevin Herter is now gone, but what it means for John Collins and maybe Clint Capella. And then the other one I want to focus on essentially is um, th- I've heard uh, this idea also with Boston, this whole deal they did with Malcolm Brogdon, where I think it leads them. And then Summer League. I want to talk about Summer League very briefly. My thoughts on Summer League. We'll talk about Chet, you know, Jabari, Paolo, those guys. Uh, Keegan Murray had a couple, had a nice game to start. And and just my theory on, on Summer League overall. Um, so part two is mostly just going to be a lot of more in-depth look of what we talked about stuff in part one. We're going to take a few of them and, d- and just dive deeper. So let's first start with KD. 
So we've got the Katie and Kyrie situation. They are somewhat intertwined, but they're also exclusive to themselves. Um, so let's first start KD, and then we'll go to Kyrie, and then we'll go to Nets as a whole, and w- where I think it all ultimately ends up. <laughs> we can even bring in Ben Simmons into this because that's wild. But anyway, let's start KD. So if you don't remember, or if you didn't listen to part one, or if you forgot from part one, KD requested a trade. This was after, by the way, that Kyrie had basically put, and his team had basically put every single move out there that he was going to leave. Then after that, he signs, or he takes his player option because they weren't going to give him a long-term deal. He takes the one-year player option for like $34, and basically saying, this is my last year here, or... I'm I'm hoping to force a short term or a long he wants a long term but he's not going to get it but maybe some short some sort of short term deal in Brooklyn. All of this then leading to basically an FU to management saying, "Well, fuck you, you didn't give me my long term deal, so I'm going to opt into my player option and then we'll talk about the future down the road," which then it seemed has pissed off KD to a point of where he wants to now request a trade. So he did and on his requested trade preferred destination list He wanted to go to either Phoenix or Miami, a playoff contender essentially, somewhere that he can win. Um, So let's let's subscribe to a couple theories. I was listening to, or not subscribe, but let's bring up a couple theories. I was listening to Bill Simmons' pod, and he had Kevin Wilds, who's a a co-host on a show that I love to watch and listen to clips of, which is First Things First, with my my favorite guy on maybe television and, and at one point radio, Nick Wright. But... He brought up this this last dance theory, and I think it's interesting. I think it's cute. I don't think it's necessarily accurate or it, that it will happen, but I think it's worth talking about. So he brought up this last dance theory, and, and let's start with KD first. He goes, okay, so if KD really wants to win, he doesn't think that leaving is the best option because if he stays and it's KD, Kyrie, and then Ben Simmons, and then now TJ Warren, and, you know, and, and essentially other people— um, maybe maybe that's the best chance of winning or at least getting out of the East is that run right there. He goes, so if it's about winning championships or if it's about winning and making it to the playoffs and being successful, then he may not have a better shot outside of Milwaukee, you know, than staying in Brooklyn with running it back with now Ben Simmons and TJ Warren, whatever. The counterpoint to that is what Nick Wright has brought up on, on the show, which is they got swept this year. Kyrie was only really good in two games of the four, maybe really only one. They were 16 wins away from winning the title, and by that I mean they got swept in the first round. So do they really think that bring, running it back and adding Ben Simmons, that that makes them 16 playoff wins better after the lasting image that we have of Ben Simmons is passing away a wide-open dunk in the playoffs against the Atlanta Hawks where they were up 3-1 to one and then they lost? Is that the lasting image? Like, is that 16 wins better with that lasting image? Probably not. So Kevin Wilds' theory is, well, if you're looking to win, your best chance is Brooklyn because you're probably going to be co-favorites or one of the favorites to get out of the East. I don't think that's necessarily true. I've seen I've seen it all with my eyes. The best team in the East is by far and away Milwaukee. If they would have had Chris Middleton last year, they would have ran through the East and they probably would have been in the NBA Finals and probably would have won it. But nonetheless, here we are. So that's theory one of the last dance theory is that, okay, well, if you're trying to win a title and you want to win now, he still thinks Brooklyn is the place to be. So it's not about winning because if it was, he would stay in Brooklyn. He said, okay, well, then maybe it's about, 
he doesn't want to play with Kyrie anymore. Well, we clearly know that's not true because there's still rumors that they want to play together and that they've been trying to maybe find a way that they can both get traded together. Maybe it's a Steve Nash thing. We found that that's probably not true either because if that was the case, then Steve Nash would be gone, but he's still the head coach, and he supposedly handpicked Steve Nash because of the relationship that they developed in Golden State. So again, we're trying to put together and trying to debunk this theory, and the theory is already kind of being debunked because, well, if it's about winning, then he's just staying in Brooklyn. Well, I don't think that's right. But maybe they're like, oh, well, maybe he doesn't want to play with Kyrie. That's why he requested the trade. Well, that kind of gets debunked too because they still want to play together and they're really good friends off the court. And now, maybe there's a sect of of Katie's brain where he's like, I love this game so much. I will give everything for this game. And Kyrie doesn't have that same mindset. And that pisses me off. And maybe I want to get away basketball wise from him because I respect that he wants to do other things with his life, but I just want to hoop. That I can subscribe to, that theory. However, I think they're too good of homies for him to ever just leave because of that. That he will ride with him no matter what. So there's that. And then the third thing being Steve Nash. Okay, well, maybe he's pissed at the coaching. Well, if that's the case, then you should just go to Sean Marks and say, well, get get him out of here. And then they would. But they haven't done that yet. Well, maybe he's pissed at Sean Marks. Well, if that's the case, then just go to Josiah and Josiah will get Sean Marks out. Well, maybe he's pissed at Joe Psy. Well, if that's the case, then going to Robert Sarver in Phoenix, a, a much worse human being and has all this cloud of allegations and things above him, that wouldn't be the move either. Now, if it was to go to Miami, Pat Riley sounds good. But Pat Riley handled the LeBron situation pretty poorly, so maybe KD knows that and is looking at that. So all these things are coming into play. And it leads me back to the idea of, well, like, it leads Kevin Wilds back to the idea of the last dance theory, which is, well, if all these things are getting debunked that, oh, it's not this and it's not this and it's not that, then maybe he's just going to end up staying. Well, I don't subscribe to that theory. I don't think they're going to run this thing back. I truly think Kevin Durant wants out because he doesn't think that they're going to give Kyrie the long-term deal. And if they're not going to give him the long-term deal, he doesn't want to stick around for four more years and waste another year with Kyrie probably getting traded too. I think he knows that Kyrie's going to get traded, and so he doesn't want to waste another year without Kyrie. Now you lose Kyrie, and it's just him and Ben Simmons, which, let's not lie, he's seen that song and dance before. He doesn't really want to be a part of that. So he wants out to go play with CP3 and Devin Booker most likely. That's what I think is going to end up happening. And so he's basically done with the Nets. I don't think this is a last dance scenario. And also, comparing Kevin Durant, Kyrie, and uh, Steve Nash to Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen and Phil Jackson, first of all, Kyrie is way less reliable than Scottie Pippen. Listen, if you want to put them on the same plane because Scottie Pippen did the thing where he took an elective surgery just to spite management, that's fine. But outside of one year, he was super reliable. Now, you could literally do the thing with Kyrie and Dennis Rodman in terms of being volatile. I actually might subscribe to that theory more than the Scottie Pippen comparison that Wilds makes. But nonetheless, Scottie Pippen was on the floor for most of the time except for his his idea of when he didn't want to play. He wanted to stick it to management. I don't think Kyrie is sticking it to management. Kyrie is just different. He's a different cat. Now, put the vaccine, that put that scenario aside. That's just, you know, listen, he could have got the vaccine. He chose not to. I didn't like his reasoning why, but I can respect somebody that decides to make a decision and and wants to stick to it. That's fine. Whatever. I don't agree with it, but I can respect him for his decision. But 
That was based on a law that's now gone. So if he decides to stay in Brooklyn and he only really wants to do his sabbaticals once every few months, there's a chance he plays 65 plus games. Now, I don't see it. I think 65, if you had to be like a betting man, over under 64 and a half games, man, I might take the under on that. Games played for Kyrie. But this is a new year where he's probably going to play 60 plus games, not his typical like 40 or whatever. And is very atypical what he did this year because he couldn't play road games or sorry, couldn't play home games. So I think I said this in part one. I think the pendulum has shifted a little too far with Kyrie, thinking that he's like this like aloof, like will never show up to games type of guy. I think we're lumping together the vaccine thing and then his and, and then his like quirkiness together and thinking he's just gonna never play basketball. Now He's erratic, so there's a moment where he may just be like, fuck basketball, I want to do social justice stuff, which is completely okay, but if he's still under contract, not great. So, I, that, I know I transitioned this into Kyrie, but it was still, I was still trying to stick on KD, but all of it kind of, like I said, is, is separate, but it's also lumped together in a way. They're intertwined in ways that are, dif- that are um, difficult to kind of remove. So... That's the KD portion. I think KD just wants to hoop, and I don't think that he wants to hoop in Brooklyn if Kyrie is not there and he doesn't believe that Kyrie is going to be there. And I don't think he wants to hoop with just Ben Simmons. And so I think he wants out. That's the kind of pretty simple line with KD if we want to just wrap it in a bow. Let's move to Kyrie. Kyrie decided that he was going to put some feelers out to try to get more money and say, hey, I think I'm going to request a trade, and these are the teams that are interested. Well, then it comes out that nobody's interested except for the Lakers because the Lakers are desperate, and they had to get a point guard. And listen, I think if the Lakers get Kyrie, that's a great idea. That's a great deal for them. But Kyrie thought, oh, I'm going to have my team put out all these people that are interested, and then when the actual market dropped and the market came to realization when nobody wanted him except for the Lakers, the Nets go, you got no leverage, bruh. We're not giving you a long-term deal. Nobody else really wants to give you a long-term deal. So ball's in your court, pal. Request request your trade to the one suitor that wants you, which is the Lakers. They'll have to give up more than we will have to ever worry about. And he was like, well, fuck, now I can't get traded, so I'm going to opt into my player option, and then we'll see if I can build my value up and, and play nice and then maybe get traded by February. Maybe that happens. Who knows? But he thought the market was so much bigger for him than it actually was. He tried to play hardball, and the hardball backfired, and now the Nets have all the leverage. And because of that, now KD looks in the mirror and goes, well, shit, they're not going to give him a long-term deal. I'm out. And Kyrie's probably like, well, shit, I'm not getting a long-term deal, so I want out now. Now, there's a big portion of this that we haven't talked about, and and I've been on this since last year, since the second he got, got named the head coach, and then I talked about it during the year, and I talked about it last year in the playoffs when he basically ran Katie ragged and didn't play anybody else for five, ten minutes a game that would have you know, reduced Kevin Durant's minutes. But there's a, there's a big part of this that Steve Nash is just letting under the rug, that we're just letting him skirt by. He's not a good coach. He's not, he's not able to do this. Now, listen. Rosillo defended him, and I, I agree with to, with Rosillo to an extent. He was on Bill Simmons's pod, the most recent one that dropped, and Bill Simmons was ragging on Steve Nash. Or no, sorry, it was um sorry, it was um Bill uh, Rosillo's latest pod with Chris Mannix, 
And Mannix was ragging on Steve Nash, and Rosillo came to somewhat of of Steve Nash's defense and was like, well, hold on a second. Like, he was basically saddled with an erratic guy that didn't want to get the vaccine, with a guy that would rather show up in street clothes and not play, and KD, who, listen, is incredible, but by himself can only do so much, and then, you know, had to worry about DeAndre Jordan for a little bit, and then had to do all the, and the Harden bullshit. And basically, like, what coach would have been okay with doing this? And there's very few that would have been. Maybe Popovich, maybe Spolstra, and that's it. So he wanted. I, I I do subscribe to the theory that it's not all Steve Nash's fault, but he plays a role because he's not a great head coach. So I don't want to just completely forget about Steve Nash, and he has some culpability in this, but he doesn't have as much as I think people are giving him. And then you go on television, you hear like the Kendrick Perkinses of the world, and like the C.J. McCollum's of the world, and they're like. Well, I'm sorry, let's fire Steve Nash. Uh, listen, that's probably going to end up what happens at the end of all of this, but I don't necessarily know if firing Steve Nash is going to solve anything here. Who are you going to bring back in? Uh, one of the Van Gundys? That won't go over well. Mark Jackson? Good luck. Like, I don't know. I just, I think we're always so quick to, like, fire the head coach when maybe look in the mirror or look around and look at the turmoil that the roster that's been put together by Joe Sy and Sean Marks. And maybe they deserve some culpability too, and they do. But listen, this whole thing isn't going to be a last dance, Kevin Wiles. I'm sorry. It's over. It's done. Kevin Durant's going to end up getting traded to Phoenix. Kyrie's going to end up on the Lakers for for um, for Russell Westbrook, THT, and and a couple picks. They're going to end up with Kyrie and probably Joe Harris, and they're going to just wipe their hands of it and say, we're done. Russell Westbrook's gone next year. They don't have to have him. You you just hang afloat for a year. You, you take the two draft picks. You don't tank, but you just kind of accept being a play-in team. Then you're done. You move on. You move off of Westbrook. You have THT. You still have Ben Simmons. You have now the two first-round picks in 27 and 29. Or maybe 25 and 27. I forget exactly what the years are. And then maybe you're able to rebuild after that. That's what I would do. That's what I think you do. Um, but that's kind of where they're at. And where do I think, like I said, where do the Nets go, go from here? I think they just rebuild. Or retool if you if you want to don't kind of want to call it a rebuild and blow it up. But I think you just re, I think you're blowing it up. You build around those draft picks. You build around um, maybe Ben Simmons, or maybe you know you have one fun year with Russell Westbrook and Ben Simmons, which that will just go horribly. But you do that, and then you rebuild. Brooklyn can get some people. They're not going to get superstars anymore, probably. But you can get some people. You give Steve Nash a chance to see his contract out, and then you you find somebody else. But I just don't think this is going to be a, a last dance situation. So that's my take on the Kyrie, Kyrie, whoa, 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 KD, Kyrie, and and Nets and Steve Nash situation. Now let's talk about let's talk about the Rudy Gobert Utah and and uh, Minnesota trade real quick here. So again, from part one, if you didn't catch it or if you forgot, one of the things we talked about was the Jazz and the Timberwolves getting a trade. 
Uh, Timberwolves receiving Rudy Gobert and the Jazz receiving a bunch of players and some picks in return. So here's the actual official trade. So Timberwolves obviously get Rudy Gobert. The Jazz receive Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Leandro Bulmaro, Walker Kessler, their pick from this year's draft, Jared Vanderbilt, a 2023 first-round pick, 25 first-round pick, a 26 pick swap. So if you don't know what a pick swap is, real quick, a pick swap is if for some reason the Timberwolves pick is better than the Jazz, in 2026, they get to swap. And so the Jazz automatically still have the better pick. And then in 27 first round pick, 29 first round pick. So just recapping, that's five players and four first round picks and then a pick swap, which will end up being a first round pick as well. So five first rounders, one of those being a pick swap. That's insanity. I know we talked about it a little bit in part one, um, but I want to just talk about what that means now for each team going forward. Draymond Green on his podcast did a nice little kind of soliloquy about why he thinks that the Timberwolves did this. And then obviously what what I think is next for the Jazz. So let's talk about why the Timberwolves would do this. I was talking with a buddy about this and he was like, well, you know, and he's probably more pro Rudy Gobert than I am. I'm I'm not anti Rudy Gobert, but I'm very just like eh about Rudy Gobert. Like I don't think he's incredible, but I don't think he's just trash. He's trash offensively, but I don't think he's trash as a player overall because he's so good at the rim. But here's the thing: take a look at the NBA. The two teams that were in the finals, okay, Golden State and Boston. What happened? Now, listen, if Robert Williams is healthy, maybe this is a different conversation. But Robert Williams is an elite rim protector. But what did Golden State do? They put him in the pick and roll and they made him do drop coverage. And if he wasn't coming out far enough, they just shot threes over top of him. And then if he came out too far, they drove right by him and they got to the rim. What did Golden State do? They played um, Kavon Looney for the offensive rebounding, but there were times where they went really small and Draymond Green was the five. The NBA is moving to crunch time when you need buckets and you need your best execution. You're moving to the smallest lineup you can possibly put together. So what the Timberwolves did is they just basically resigned to that theory and they now have Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert playing the four and the five, basically two centers because as Draymond Green said, the four now is basically like someone that's like six seven, and Carl Anthony Towns being almost seven foot basically puts him in like the still the center role. Um, but all that to say, the Timberwolves basically resigned to the the wave of the NBA, which is go small and be athletic and be be able to switch one through five, or at least be switching three through five with your bigs. They resigned to that fact, and they just said, "Well, fuck it, we're just going to go." Big, massive two twin towers in the middle, the the two tall two tall trees, and then have mediocre to below average <laughs> wing defenders because we know we can g- get everything in the middle at the paint. Well, here's the thing: we saw that happen already. That happened in Utah. They got beat in serieses that they were winning and they shouldn't have lost, but then teams figured it out and they just started to pull Rudy Gobert and and pull the bigs um, out into the perimeter and they got exposed. Now, I'm not blaming Rudy Gobert for that. We did this, I talked about this in part one. I'm not blaming Rudy Gobert for not being able to guard uh, Reggie Jackson out on the paint for five, 10 seconds or out, out of, sorry, out on the wing, out of the paint for 10 seconds. He's not, he's not built to do that, but how... But what should you do? 
you should have super, super capable wing defenders that if they switch, then, you know, uh, either they don't switch and they just allow Rudy Gobert to sit in the paint or they they go over everything and they force Rudy Gobert or sorry, force the wing defender to continue to defend and, and allow Rudy Gobert to kind of just be that guy in the middle. Well, they traded away all of their super athletic wings. Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Jared Vanderbilt. They traded these guys all away. So now it's just, you know, you're, um, you're unathletic, not, not as good defenders out on the wing. And now you just, again, have set up a Utah situation for Rudy Gobert where he's going to have to be out on the paint a lot of these times now and he's going to be exposed for something that's not his fault. They put together a bad lineup again of defenders around him. So I, I thought it was interesting that they made this trade and then they completely kept the worst defenders on the team. I mean, listen, I love D'Angelo Russell. You know that. If you've been on this podcast, you know that I'm, I've am i got stock. I've got a house on the island, and I'm not leaving until he's, he's out of the league. But he's a horrific defender. So it's kind of like the the Mike Conley thing, the Donovan Mitchell thing, like Donovan Mitchell ended up being a, a not a great defender towards the end of the year. And in that playoff series this year, he basically just didn't guard anybody. Royce O'Neal didn't guard anybody. Mike Conley struggled to guard people because he's getting older. Like this team just kind of put together the same construct that Utah had, which forced him to, re- to blow everything up. And now they're doing a rebuild. So it was a little head scratching to me, but the jazz now have Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, who they're probably going to get rid of, maybe even get rid of Malik Beasley, and they're just going to restart. There's a chance that that um, in the next month or so that Donovan Mitchell is now gone, so they're really going to rebuild. They're going to probably have like 10 first-round picks in the next few years. So look for that. I don't really have like a, a projection of what the Jazz are going to end up being. They're obviously looking to to be bad so they can try and be in the sweepstakes for Wemba Miana, but th- what they did was beautiful. So, I'm for that. All right, let's talk the Hawks trade now with DeJounte Murray and Trey Young. So, just to recap again, the Hawks got DeJounte Murray from the Spurs, and the Hawks sent the Spurs the 2023 pick from Charlotte, their own 25 and 27 first-round picks, and they're doing a pick swap in 2026. So, four first-round picks, basically. Again, which I think is a bit much for DeJounte Murray because if you think about that, that's one pick less than Rudy Gobert. Now, I think if you're asking me what I would rather do, I would rather flip them and give, you know, I think that Murray is worth the five first rounds and and Gobert is worth the four, but that's just semantics at this point. So um, the Spurs are also going to be in the sweepstakes sweepstakes for Wimbam Yana. Um, Everybody is going to be that's really bad. Um, So I get why the Spurs are doing it. Um, you kind of, this is probably like a couple years too late, but I don't think pop was emotionally and physically ready to do the, the rebuild. I think he probably signed off on this and who knows if he's going to be there for the whole part of this rebuild, but they didn't do this a couple years ago because pop wasn't ready, but pop deserved the benefit of the doubt. And so now where we are is that it sounds like pop is ready for this rebuild. And so now he's going to be around for the long haul, maybe not till 2027, but maybe till at least a couple years we can mentor some of these guys. So um, that's what they got for the Spurs, um, and the Hawks trade outside of that. Um, what do I think about what the Hawks can do now? So the Hawks basically now have the two dynamic players 
playmakers, one of them now a really good defender, one of them being not one, the other one not, Trey Young. I think another reason why they did this trade, not only to have those two playmakers out there, one is obviously to take a lot of the usage rate off of Trey Young. He doesn't have to do everything anymore, and now you can kind of go 1A, 1B with DeJounte Murray and Trey Young. The other thing is obviously the defend, the defending element of this, which is now if there's an elite point guard on the other end, you put DeJounte Murray on him instead of Trey Young. You put Trey Young on the shooter, and he doesn't have to be in all these pick and rolls and he doesn't have to necessarily be the guy that's always going to be put in horrible spots. Now, Trey Young is always going to be a bad defender. He's always going to be targeted, but at least you can now reject some of those switching matchups and hunting because you have DeJounte Murray and he can kind of fight through those and, and guard the, the better player. On to the usage rate thing. I just hope that they don't end up putting um, DeJounte Murray just in the corner waiting to be a spot-up shooter. Now, if the shooting number is true from DeJounte Murray where he jumped from a year ago to this past year or two years ago to this past year and he can be a, a 35 to 40% three-point shooter, then like there's going to be moments where he's just coming off screens and he's hitting jumpers. And if that's the case, then great. Um, you know, I don't know what it looks like. I'm a little worried. I think the fit is I think the fit is fine. I think the fit is it's going to be I want to see like the first month and see how they play off of each other and see if it's if it is really like a a you and me, not a, a you go now I go cuz sometimes the you go now I go sucks. Um but if it's like really an organic intertwined kind of 1A 1B, then I'm for that. I subscribe to that. Um but obviously the Spurs are going to end up, if they end up getting really good picks and they end up rebuilding well, then they won this trade. Listen, nobody likes to talk about the people getting the draft picks as winning the trade. It always looks like they got the worst part of it. Um, but I think both sides can win in this one, um, to be quite honest. So I'm excited to see kind of how this goes down. Um, let's talk Summer League. I think I think Summer League's been interesting. I think it's been a lot of fun. Um, obviously, we'll talk about the big one, which was... Um, you know, Chet Holmgren doing Chet-like things. Um, he was a lot of fun in his first game. I mean, let's pull up, let's just pull up that that Chet Holmgren stat line here. Um, because he literally, I mean, my God, his his first his first game, I think he set the block record for um I think he set the block record for Summer League with six blocks or something like that which is just fucking wild. <laughs> um, but let's let's kind of pull those up here and, and then we'll talk about we'll talk about summer league in general. Um, so let's look at game one. His game one he had 23.7 rebounds, four assists, six blocks and one steal. He was seven and nine from the floor, four or six from the on the arc. That was game one. In game two, let's see what he ended up with. In game two, he had 11 points, 12 boards, three assists, and two blocks, but he was three of 11 and one of six from three. But he was plus 14, plus minus, which, you know, whatever. So he's 2-0 and in games one and game two, and then he sat out game three against the 76ers the other night. So, so far, if we're through two games that he's played, he had 23 and then he had 11, so that's 34. He's averaging, or sorry, yeah, 34. He's averaging 17 points a game. He's averaging, what is that? Uh, 19 boards. So he's averaging basically almost 10 boards a game. He's averaging a double-double, essentially. Um, 
he's got a bunch of blocks. He's doing pretty well on assists wise. So he's averaging about, you know, four and a half, three and a half, four assists a game. He's averaging basically four blocks a game now, but the first one was obviously an anomaly. He had six. He's probably not going to do that every single night, but he's, he's shining. He's playing really well. Here's the thing that we have to do though. I love Chet. I said he's going to be the best player in the draft. I think he has the best upside. I think he's going to end up being the best player by a margin from this draft class, and he may end up being a freaking legend overall. I think the same thing about Evan Mobley. I said the same thing about him. I think they're very similar, um, so I think they're both going to be great. But let's chill out. It's Summer League. I love what he did. I love that he showed up and put it to these guys that probably wanted to show up him, and he showed them up. He erases a lot of stuff at the rim. He's super lanky. He clearly has the IQ. He clearly has the skill. But he gets bodied sometimes. And we knew that was going to be the case. Now, he's playing sometimes playing the five, but he's not really going to play the five. He's going to play more of the four and the three at certain moments. But listen, like, it's Summer League. When he did this against the Jazz, out of their 10 players that played, nine of them were undrafted. So, like, it's not a great talent comparison. Um, but listen, it's all in good fun. You know, I think, I think the, the comeback to earth moment was the next game where he only has 11, but he does have a double double. He has 12 boards. He's going to get a ton of boards. He's going to get blocks. He's going to be in the paint. He's going to be a menace down there, but there's going to be moments where Kofi Coburn dominates him because he's just so much bigger and he's going to bully him. But then there's going to be moments where Chet Holmgren puts these bigger guys on skates and makes them look dumb. But here's the thing about summer league. Chet is supposed to be good. He was going to be number one overall for basically the entire summer, and then obviously the Magic go with Paolo. But Chet is supposed to be good. He's supposed to be averaging 17 and 10 because that's what they thought he was going to be. So if we're overreacting to 23 and 11 and saying, oh my God, he's going to be, or 23 and 7, and we're like, oh my God, he's going to, he's the next GOAT, well, that's a bit much. But if we're saying like, oh shit, look what happened in his second game. He still had a double-double and he had 12 boards and 11 points. So Chet is supposed to be good, but he's also going to have nights where he's not so good. Trey Young had maybe one of the worst performances shooting-wise in summer league history for a guy that now has led the league in scoring and assists. So it all just kind of figures itself out. It all kind of evens out. So let's just chill out on like the overhype, but let's not also be like, oh shit, he had 23 the first night and then he only had 11 the next night. Like it's summer league. It's going to happen. But Chet is supposed to be good. You know, like that is that is what we go into these things thinking is when you're going to be a number one pick, you should be good. We should expect you to be really good in summer league. So forgive me for not being like, oh, my God. What you know, what what else are we supposed to do? Like, no, he's supposed to be good. <laughs> so, OK. Let's talk um, last night. So I'm recording this now Friday. Part one was on Thursday. Part two, Friday. So Thursday night, the um, if I remember correctly, Thursday night in Vegas, we had, um, let me pull up. Oh, sorry, not in Vegas, but in, well, yeah, it would be Vegas. Last night, we had um, the Houston taking on um, Orlando, game one of the of the summer league that's happening in Vegas from the seventh to the seventeenth. Um, so we had all of that 
happening last night. So we had the, um, the you know, uh, if you want to call it a, a like heated rivalry of, oh, well, Orlando was going to take um, Chet and then they didn't. Um, and then they were going to take Jabari and then they did it and they took Palo instead. And so maybe Jabari wants to show up Palo, blah, blah, blah. Well, here's what happened. You want to see the box score? Jabari Smith went 4 of 10 for only 10 points. He shot 4 of 10 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3. Shot 1 of 2 from the foul line. He had 7 rebounds total, but he had 5 fouls and only 10 points was a minus 17. What did Paolo do? Not necessarily great shooting, but he was 5 of 12. He was 5 of 12 from the field, but he was 2 of 3 from 3. He was 5 of 5 from the line. He had 17 points, but he did foul out. He had 6 assists and 4 rebounds. He did a little bit of everything. He wasn't necessarily incredible, but if you want to say who won the battle, it was Paolo. And I think we always knew that was the case, though. I don't think this is a shot at either guy. Like, if they're if either of them are like super angry about where they got drafted, the Magic said this. They thought that Paolo was the most NBA ready right now, and I don't think they're wrong. That does not mean that by the end of it, Jabari Smith Jr. is going to end up being a freaking Kevin Durant like scorer and light scorer and ends up being able to guard multiple positions one through five, and he ends up being this incredible scorer and, and two-way player. And that Paolo Bancaro is a, a Swiss Army knife and does everything really well, but he's not elite at any one thing. And that Chet Holmgren ends up being the best of all three, and he went second. So, like, it's not a bad thing that each of these guys struggled a little bit at some of the things that they struggle with. But... Let's not also kid ourselves that like both teams knew what they were doing. You know, like they both teams did what they needed to do because of the scouting that they put together. Um, and so here we are. Palo had the better game, but these guys are supposed to be good. They were all talked about as the top three players. Jabari Smith underwhelmed. Paolo Bancaro was right around what I thought he would be. I think he's going to be a 15 to 17 point per game guy a night. He's going to get six boards, probably four assists. He's going to get to the line. He's going to defend pretty well. And that's pretty much it. If he's that for his whole career, he'll have an entire, he'll have a glorious career. He'll never not be on a team and he'll be playing forever. If Jabari has the stat line he had tonight, he may not be playing super long, but he's not going to have that stat line because it's summer league. <laughs> I just want to keep going back to that. It is Summer League. Now, this is all we have to go off of, so we get to react off of it. We get to have a good time, and it's all good and good fun. It's all fun to go on Twitter and be like, oh, Chet, holy shit, or like, ooh, Bancaro hits hits a step back on Jabari, and then he locks him up next time down the floor, and he blocks him off the glass. Like, all that's great. But at the end of the day, when they actually play against the guys that aren't in Summer League, that are on the actual rosters that are playing night in and night out, that's when we can start to react. That's when we can start to really get a feel for what the teams and what they're going to be like long-term. So that's my take on Summer League. It's a ton of fun to watch. Like, I've got a game on right now. I've got some action on Cleveland Cavaliers plus five today. Game started at four. I'm recording this about five o'clock. So, like, got some action. It's fun to watch. It's fun to bet on. It's fun to just be able to watch these games like – now that the Summer League is in Vegas, you've got games going on every single day from like 3 or 4 to like, you know, midnight, which is just great for people that are at work. <laughs> but it's Summer League. So take that with a grain of salt, you know. 
All right, that is going to wrap up part two. That is going to wrap up the whole episode. Thank you so much for for tuning in. Again, if you haven't yet, please like, subscribe, download, rate, review the podcast, all platforms, stream podcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Tweed 22. Thank you so much for riding, and we will be back in the next episode probably with a guest. We're going to do some fun, um, is he a superstar, is he not game? We'll have some parameters for that game, and then we're going to talk top 20, top 15, top 10 players of all time. We want everybody's lists. So we're going to start having some guests on here. We're going to talk about lists um, and play some games um, while we have some off time. Um, real quick update, just got a couple Twitter updates here before we before we head off here and before we sign off. Um, first Twitter update, um, James Harden has signed a much shorter but much more money-friendly extension, which we talked about in part one. That was probably going to be the case. Harden is taking a $15 million pay cut for next season, so he has opted out of his $47 million player option, and it sounds like he's probably going to sign somewhat around like a two-year, you know, whatever his two-year deal is probably going to be. Um, He's going to sign a short-term two-year deal with a player option in year two. Um, The other interesting note is that... um, Damian Lillard has signed a two-year, $120 million extension, which now brings him to um, a five-year, $270 million on the current contract that he's on. He's now one of the top earners in the NBA. He's estimated $451 million in salaries. So all that, uh, and then he also came out today and said all the news about the the owner of the um, owner of the Blazers not returning his calls and all that was just BS. Um, he said that wasn't true. So. Um, he gets his max deal. He's there for another, you know, for a five-year deal now. Um, he's going to be around for the long haul. And um, sounds like there's no problems over there in Blazers land. Um, it looks like they're actually really trying to build something over there, which is fun. Um, other than that, though, that is it. Now we are going to wrap up. We will catch you guys in the next episode. All right, fam. Peace.